Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It is fantastic to be together this morning. I trust that you were blessed by the worship and that as we dig into God's word this morning, uh, you'll be just as blessed, just as encouraged. Um, so if you're with us for the first time, I want to let you know we started a new series last week called Confinement Refinement, and we are looking specifically at how God refines us as his people through the season of lockdown and confinement. And Jolene did a fantastic job last week of introducing this series as she looked at how God refines us in our relationships with family and how this time can be used to build and to strengthen and to mend relationships with one another. So if you haven't watched that, go and watch it. I want to encourage you to do that. You can find that on our church's YouTube channel. This morning, we're going to be looking at how God refines us in a different way, but I'm going to get into that just now. I wanted to start off by stating something obvious. Um, and the obvious thing is this. That God works in weird and wonderful ways. We all know that. If you've walked with the Lord for some time, even if you're a new Christian, you'll know that God tends to answer prayers in crazy ways and work in our lives in ways that are beyond uh, our imagination or ability to perceive initially. But what God also does is take unplanned, unpleasant circumstances and use those to work in our lives as well. One of the examples from the series we've just been through was Joseph and how God used that unpleasant circumstance to bring about Good. And although this season we're in is most certainly an unpleasant one in many ways and in many regards and is certainly unplanned, it is also a season of incredible growth or opportunity for incredible growth and for God to refine us from the inside out. It's an opportunity for us to be shaped and molded into Christ-likeness according to God's purposes and plans for us for the glory of His name. You know, and when I was thinking about lockdown and life before lockdown, if I had to speak about the two different uh, seasons of life, pre-lockdown and lockdown, the way that I would describe pre-lockdown is busy, right? Life was just chaotic. That's what I can remember. It feels like ages ago that we were meeting together and life was normal, but it, but it was a really busy, busy time. People were just so chock-a-block when it comes to their diaries and meetings. If it wasn't uh, schoolwork, it was work. If it wasn't sport, it was social activities. If it wasn't social activities, it was extramural. If it wasn't that, it was church, it was family. It was some other thing that kept us really busy. It was really difficult to find space for anything uh, extra in a person's life, even time with the Lord. I remember one of the concerns for us as a leadership when we planned our church ministries, uh, the essential ministries of our church where we got together and ministered to one another and where we discussed what we felt our people needed and, 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 and wanted to be bringing as a leadership and as a body to our uh, community here at Connect. We were also so aware that as we planned that, we didn't want to be adding unnecessarily extra stuff or unnecessary extra stuff to people's already busy lives. It was one of these... Uh, tight ropes that we walked. We really wanted to make sure that we were doing what God called us to do without making people excessively busy. That was a, that was a huge concern. People really were busy from sunup to sundown. But here's the thing that I realize, and as a team we realize, and really I believe is on God's heart. We need to understand that we are not machines. And that might sound silly to say, but I think sometimes we operate like that. We are human. God has made us for rhythms for cadences that are sustainable, rhythms of, of rest and of work, rhythms of taking a break and then working really hard. But that wasn't the case. And I don't know about you, but I just realized how busy we were as we've entered into the season now of lockdown. 
I really think it's, it's, it's unhealthy for us to be as busy as we were for as long as some of us were busy. As much as it is unhealthy for you to never want to work or to be around people. It's unhealthy for us to always be around noise, to always have people around us. It's unhealthy for us to constantly be busy as much as it is for us to always be doing nothing and to never want to be in community. Really, from the dawn of time, God's people have always needed their times of respite and rest and break from the hustle and bustle of life. But more so than ever in the modern world, this is so necessary for us. And I think we've missed it. And I think we've missed an important part of the gospel and what it means to be a kingdom community, a Christian community of people living the way God intends us to live. And I think because of the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of life, even more so, we need to take a step back, take a look at our lives and make space for time with the Lord in silence and solitude. This season has seriously thrust us into a place uh, where for most people, where for most people, life has slowed down. Where for most people, we, we now sometimes don't know what to do with our day because we've got more disposable time. For most people, it's become incredibly disconcerting and unsettling because now we're not too sure what to do with the extra time that we have. And I just want to say this. A slowing down in life is a really good thing. I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. Sure, it has come um, in unfortunate times and through unfortunate circumstances. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that is really not pleasant about this time. But I really think that God is teaching us and showing us and using the season to refine in us something that was missing before. People just never had time to slow down very often, including their relationship with the Lord. A gentleman by the name of Wayne Muller says this, Because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. Now, obviously, we're not speaking about being lazy and slothful. Obviously, we're not speaking about being unproductive. And most certainly, I do realize that in this season, for a lot of people, life has become even more hectic, especially for essential services workers, people in government, people in the medical field, and many other people who are out there working because of what's happening uh, in our country. You're working harder than ever before. And, and I realize that although a lot of us have got more disposable time, some of you have got even less time. And if this message is important for us, who have found this time to be incredibly challenging because we can't get out and do what we normally used to do. It's even more so important for you, for those of you who are incredibly busy. It's important for you to hear what is on the heart of the Lord for you. Like I said, we're not speaking about laziness and unproductive lifestyles. What we're speaking about is taking the example of Christ. If Jesus is going to be our example in all things, then he needs to be our example in all things. And Jesus often took a break. Jesus often separated himself from the crowd, from his disciples. Jesus often removed himself from the busyness and the hecticness of ministry and of life happenings to go and to be alone with the Father, to go and be in a place of solitude and silence so that he can rest. Jesus continuously withdrew. 
And it's this solitude and silence that Jesus entered into that's a major theme of the Gospels and became a source of Christ's compassion, of his wisdom and his power and what he was able to bring to people. It was because he was taking a break and getting away to sit at the feet of Jesus, which so often so many of us never had the opportunity to do or even thought was possible because if life was a table, we just had so much clutter on that table, essential stuff and also non-essential stuff, but it was just too busy. And the idea of putting anything else on there, even time of the Lord, just seemed incredibly difficult. You know, the ongoing intimate relationship with Jesus and his times of solitude and silence are seen everywhere throughout the Gospels. It's the reason uh, Jesus was able to begin the ministry, uh, his ministry, the way he was able to begin it, because he took time to be alone with the Father. His solitude and silence, it's the reason why he was able to make the decisions he was able to make. It's how he dealt with troubling and terrifying times and, and with emotions like grief and fear. It's how he dealt with the constant demands of life and ministry and the needs of people. It's how he taught his disciples and it's certainly how he prepared himself to go to the cross. And Jesus is constantly inviting us as his people into this place of deep intimacy, silence, and solitude. He's inviting us to join him in a space and a place where we can be restored to overflow. I think so many of us are empty because of the, the past busyness of our lives or the current busyness of our lives. We very seldom take time to just be alone with the Lord and be refilled. And I think although this time is uncomfortable, certainly scary, and certainly bringing a whole bunch of emotions like fear and anxiety um, into our lives at this time. It is a time that has caused us to stop, I think, and to have a bit more space to breathe. And I believe God wants to use that time, or we can use that time to be refined and to learn the discipline of solitude and silence so we can be full to overflowing, not just in this season, but moving forward after lockdown as well. So one of my favorite examples we're going to unpack this morning of a man who, who, were, who, who learned what it means to be transformed uh, from one place to another through silence and solitude is uh, the man Elijah. And you can pick up that story from him of him. We're going to pick that up in uh, the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. But, but the story of Elijah gives us much insight into what it means to face times of loneliness, solitude, and silence. And how God works in our lives. And it also is a story that brings and sheds some light onto the fruit and the journey that it is. The fruit that comes from the journey of silence and solitude with Jesus. So we're going to read together uh, the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 1 to 19. And then we'll unpack uh, what I believe God has for us when it comes to this whole uh, idea of silence and solitude in this season. Here's what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than any of my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. An angel, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around 
And there, by his head, was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there. One of the first things we learn from Elijah's experience is not to over-spiritualize our motivation for entering into silence and solitude. And that might sound a little bit weird. But it is true that often desperation is what drives us initially to pursue God in a way that we've never pursued him before. And I wanted to make this point and I wanted to draw this point out of this, um, out of this text because I think so often we hear this saying, nothing improves prayer life faster than big trouble. And you have definitely experienced it in your life as I have. And although that saying might be true, it is also one of those sayings that's used in a really condescending way. By self-righteous people who feel like they've got it all together. And I want to encourage you and say this. Even if you haven't been following the Lord the way that you know you should have. Even if you haven't been following the Lord as closely and as intimately as you should be. And even if you haven't been making space for Him in your life. It is okay to come to the Lord in a time of desperation and great need. Because rather come to the feet of Jesus now in a time of desperation than never. And I think so often we can say stuff that can make people feel condemned. And the enemy can use it to make you feel like you're worthless. And that you cannot approach God because you've not given him anything worthy of allowing you to come into his presence. And I want to say church, Jesus has done it all. Jesus is the one who's made you worthy because of what Jesus has done, even in a time of desperation. Let that desperation be the motive to draw you and to drive you into the presence of God. And if desperation is the thing, then that's okay. 
So often we want to make it a holier or a loftier reason. Pure desire for God, perhaps. Or because you just love being in His presence so much, that's, 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 that, that's all you can do. And although those are legitimate reasons for a lot of people to enter into the place of silence and solitude, and although it is true that big trouble improves prayer life, you know, although those are true, I don't think that we need to be feeling guilty about the relationship that we have with Lord in this, with with the Lord in a, in a season like this, where so many people are desperate for the presence of God. I want to encourage you: if desperation is what's driving you into the presence of God, then let it be so, and don't feel guilty for coming into God's presence. You know, this desperation I find in my life often comes through the realization that there are things in my life that need to change. This desperation comes from longings that have been painfully unmet. This desperation comes sometimes from having tried everything I possibly could have tried to fix the problem that I know exists in my life. And yet I come up short, not being able to fix it myself. And even when I haven't spent as much time with the Lord that I know I should have, when I hit that point of desperation, I know I can come to God. And so often I regret having waited so long to come into His presence. But always when I go, I'm met with loving, refreshing arms. Yes, we shouldn't get into a habit of not being with the Lord. Our daily routine needs to be time in the presence of God. But if you've fallen short in this area, I want to encourage you. God is there and God is waiting in a season like this. In the midst of our outward busyness, I think sometimes uh, we become aware uh, of the inward chaos. Uh, well, we are unaware of the inward chaos in our lives. And, and when it's time to, to rest and, and we actually take a step back, we're aware that the inner chaos is sometimes worse than the outward busyness of our lives. And it can become quite disconcerting. I think, in a sense, the busyness of our lives turns us up like a glass jar full of river water that has sediment in it. And it's just so muddied and it's just so topsy-turvy. And we actually just need to take a break, sit and relax and allow the sediment to settle, to sit and to know that He is God, to come to Jesus and to allow the sediment to settle so we can see clearly. If desperation, if you're desperate because you know your life is like those muddied waters, or if this season has made you feel like that, allow God to take what you're going through and turn it into the practice and the discipline of silence and solitude where the waters can be stilled, the sediment can settle, and God can clean and purify what He needs to purify in your life. That's exactly what Elijah did. And it's exactly what happened for him. After he's been threatened by Jezebel, he's so scared that he runs into the desert. He's depressed. He's frightened, so much so that he eventually withdraws and, and, and walks into the wilderness and collapses under a broom tree. He's so discouraged, he says to God, just take my life. And eventually, Elijah's willingness to enter into solitude and silence is what leads to his refreshing and his upliftment and his encouragement. There's this opportunity for him in, in the wilderness and the silence and the solitude to come face to face with the living God, to deal with what he's dealing with inside and to experience God's transforming presence and a redirect from where he was going to something totally new. In a way, Elijah is actually fortunate because his circumstances force him into the desert. We're not so lucky. Sometimes, you know, we don't feel like we're at that breaking point yet. For a lot of us, we feel like we're no, maybe not that desperate and, and we're still fairly functional and in control. And so we try to keep things under control. We try and organize our lives and maintain our lives in our own strength. 
And we're filled with all sorts of reasons why it's okay to still keep hold of the busyness and chaos um, in our lives. And, and we have firm reasons why we need to remain as busy as we are. We come up with all sorts of reasons why we need to stay entrenched in the noise and the busyness of our lives as our inner life suffers. I really think, like I've said before, this is a season where God is exposing for us just how busy we were and just how much time we spent doing other things that ultimately never really matter. And how in this season, I think God is teaching us to prioritize Him more and more is such an amazing thing. You don't have to reach a point of desperation, though. And my encouragement this morning is don't wait. Let's use this time that God has given us. Let this be a silver lining to the really dark cloud that we find ourselves in. Let us as God's people be encouraged that we have got more time now. And we should be making more than ever, if we are super busy because of the season, more time with the Lord. And let us be transformed by God and His transforming power. The second thing we learn from uh, the story of Elijah is this. That entering into silence and solitude is a journey that you must enter into willingly. And it's going to require energy. It's not a quick fix. It's a journey. The invitation into silence and solitude doesn't just end with Elijah sitting under a broom tree. His body needs to be strengthened. His soul needs to be strengthened. And it's, and it's this prerequisite to the journey that he goes on to find God at the mountain. A journey that often leads and that certainly led Elijah into lonely places, into wilderness places. And I think if we think about that as a metaphor, metaphor for our lives, we are often afraid of going into the lonely, quiet, desert places of our lives because it's uncharted territory. We often don't like the silence. We often don't like who we are when we're alone with ourselves. And we are scared of what surfaces that we've tried to suppress for such a long time. And it's in the silence and it's in solitude and in loneliness with the Lord that that stuff starts to come up. And so often we run because we're afraid of the pain that the emotions uh, would bring or that the, we're afraid of the pain that might come with emotions that might surface when we deal with the deep stuff in our lives. When the angel of the Lord comes to Elisha and, and, and wakes him a second time, the angel of the Lord says, get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. Elijah's resting um, gave him the ability to see clearly the situation that he was in and gave him the resolve to, to go and to press on to that thing he, know, he knew he so desperately needed. And that was relationship and intimacy and time alone with God. And I think this is so true for us. We need to rest initially, but then be prepared to go on a long journey of silence and solitude with the Lord. And press often into those spaces so that God can purge and clean and purify and restore us to overflowing. Often we get tired. And often we so desperately need rest. And once we get a little bit of rest, we gain a bit of perspective back on life. I remember being a new father. Amanda and I, uh, we didn't have grandparents around to help us. And so it was the best, most exciting, and still is. Parenting really is the best adventure of our lives so far. And we love our children, but it was also one of the most tiring and challenging seasons of our lives as new parents with newborn babies or with a newborn baby. I remember one morning, uh, or one, one, one morning, it was like two, three o'clock in the morning, Mandy waking up, and uh, David was in his cot 
uh, in his bedroom and he wasn't crying, but man, he woke up and she was on her hands and her knees on the bed going, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And she was crawling around on the bed on her hands and her knees and eventually she picked up a pillow and started uh, cuddling and, um, and uh, hushing a pillow. And I, I remember being incredibly amused and at the same time incredibly terrified that this was happening. But it was because of sleep deprivation that this was happening. And I remember the same thing happening to me one or two nights. And then just realizing at that point just how bad sleep deprivation is and how terrible it is to be tired and how your brain doesn't function properly. And I think spiritually for a lot of people, it's the same thing. You know, we're just so spiritually tired or we're just so tired physically that our spiritual man, our spiritual woman, our inner selves, our souls are in chaos. And we need to sometimes just say no to the physical busyness so we can go and spend time with the Lord in the quiet metaphorical deserts and wilderness spaces, and we need to go on a journey into that space with God. No, for Elijah became clear that he wanted and needed an encounter with God, and he was willing to leave anything and everything behind to go and to pursue that. He was willing to leave intimate relationships with behind, with, with friends and perhaps with family, past su- successes. He was willing to leave that behind. His prominence as a prophet in Israel, he's willing to leave that behind as well. The forms and rituals and places of worship that he was so used to and accustomed to. And really any kind of physical and emotional security. And his willingness to leave all of the stuff behind and say no to it. So that he could enter into a season of rest and solitude and silence with the Lord. Was what gave him and afforded him the opportunity and possibility to meet with God the way that he did. Elijah was hungry for an experience with the living God. For a divine encounter with the divine presence of the living God. He knew where to go to get it. And he was on his way and nothing was going to stop him. Elijah was willing to walk into the emptiness of the wilderness in order to find what he was looking for. Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai, was the place that he was going to. And if you look at a map, I don't know if you've looked at a map, but if, if you look at Mount Sinai, it is surrounded, I think, by six or seven deserts. There's so many deserts around Mount Sinai that the vastness and the emptiness of the space is actually quite breathtaking. And Elisha walk, Elijah walks for 40 days and 40 nights through this vast wilderness to get to where God is. He was willing to stay in the emptiness until he met with the Lord in the mountain. And Elijah's wilderness experience, like I said before, is is a really powerful metaphor for the vast emptinesses we all will experience at some point in our lives as we enter into silence and solitude with the Lord and as we set apart more time for him and as we start to engage with who we really are and who God wants us to be and as we allow God to still the muddied waters and change us from the inside out, there'll be stuff that we don't want to deal with that will cause us to want to run away. But the encouragement to you is walk, go the journey, Allow God to strengthen you in points along the way. But get to the mountain. Get to that place and allow God to transform you. Like it or not, we cannot escape the fact that willingness to walk through the lonely, dark, deep places of our lives is a prerequisite and a precursor to finding God in those places and finding healing from the Lord in those things. A gentleman by the name of Dan Allender writes this. He says, Our spiritual journey must lead through the desert or else our healing will be a product of our own will and wisdom. 
It is in the silence of the desert that we hear our dependence on noise. It is in the poverty of the desert that we see clearly our attachments to the trinkets and baubles we cling to for security and pleasure. The desert shatters the soul's arrogance and leaves body and soul crying out in thirst and hunger. In the desert we trust God or die. We all have those empty places in our lives that feel empty and dry and we know about them. And sometimes they coexist, coexist with really full places in our lives. But it's the empty places that we try and avoid as much as possible. But God is waiting in the empty spaces and in those places in your life where you need him to refill you and recharge you. The question I want to ask you this morning is, where are the empty places in your life? Are you able to acknowledge them, admit to them, and bring them to the Lord as Elisha did? I have one more point this morning, but I really felt in my heart to pray specifically for people who are resonating with what uh, I'm sharing and, and with how maybe perhaps God is ministering to you by the Spirit right now. So I want to pray quickly for you as we, as we then move on to our last point this morning. Father, I just want to thank you that you're ministering to people and that you're challenging them with the busyness of their lives and the empty spaces in their lives and perhaps the desperation that they feel because of the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. And I want to pray, God, that you'd give to us great courage and boldness to press in, to seek you, and to be willing to enter into those places of solitude and silence, no matter how scary it may be, how daunting it may be, so that we can pursue you, that we can come to that in our own lives, that, that, that mountain of the Lord where we meet with you and have that experience, God, that Elijah did of restoration and infilling. I pray for people right now that there'd be that peace and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon them. In Jesus' name. With that, I want to just close with this last point. And that's this, that, that, that through Elijah's story, we learn that solitude and silence is going to be a place where we face ourselves, we come face to face with who we are, and with who the living God is. In other words, in solitude and silence, we are going to be confronted with who we really are inside. But we're also going to encounter a living God who lovingly shapes us and molds us according to his purposes and plans and removes from us the things that need to be removed and gently does a surgical work on us spiritually and places into us everything he wants for us to be. If Elijah's story tells us anything, we know that, uh, like I said before, solitude and silence is not a quick fix. Elijah walked into the outer emptiness of the desert to experience God, but he walked for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and this is often a part of Elijah's story that we tend to want to skip when we speak about God transforming us and our need for God to transform us. We're so impatient because we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting with uh, having, when it comes to having to deal with tough stuff, we don't like having to wait when it comes to wanting good stuff. You know, we're such an impatient generation. Um, and everything rises up within us in churning rebellion. You know, especially if we have to wait a long time for something that we think is important that we need. You know, we really rise up against this non-productive use of our time. And our frustration, or at least my frustration, this has been my experience, intensifies when I realize that I'm caught between my need for something and my unwillingness to wait for it. It really becomes frustrating, especially, I don't know if you've been to the shop lately, but you'll know you have to stand here with your mask on and the queue, we're going to have to check is here at, 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 at Park and Shop, and the queue is often up all the way to Standard Bank or to the clicks. And you drive by and you just go, Look, we really need food. But I also really don't want to stand in this line. I'll come back later. And when you come back later, the line is just as long or even longer. And there's just a cycle that you know you can't escape. And so eventually, 
you go to drag yourself out the car and you go to stand in the line anyway. And you go to endure that long wait and patience is being forged in that moment. Yes, you can leave the trolley. Yes, I can be frustrated and chuck it aside and get back into the car and go home. But then I'm still met with the need for food, but my lack of desire to stand and be patient. And so often that can be the same when it comes to waiting for God in solitude and silence. And people can be put off by this. We come into solitude and silence with the Lord and, and into the presence of God, wanting Him to do a work in us. But we want it to be like a light switch that just switches a light on and off. Or a tap, we just open and there's water there. Or our cars who take us from point A to point B faster than you can walk. We want it to happen quickly and instantly. We want it to be like ADSL or fiber where there's just this quick download. And we want, we want um, the upload and download speeds to be super fast. We want the line speed to be increased. And we often get frustrated. And so we remove ourselves before we've even begun the journey because our expectations are misplaced. And I want to encourage you with this and say, don't be in a hurry in this season. Like I said, the silver linings that God has given for most of us, to most of us, this disposable time. And I think we can cultivate a discipline in our lives that is so desperately for a long time been needed. Yes, we can enter into solitude and silence and be frustrated and walk away when God hasn't done anything God-like for a long time. But we'll be walking away from the only place where our need can be met and you'll still be uh, carrying the spiritual need and you'll still eventually, if you want that need to be met, have to come back to the place where you originally walked away because of impatience. I want to encourage you, be patient with the Lord and allow him to do the work for Elijah. He walked 40 days and 40 nights and God hadn't done anything quite God-like yet until he got to the mountain. Even when he got to the mountain, Elijah had to wait and God tests him and he shows up eventually with a question. And the question might not seem that probing, but when God asks you a question, somehow it's sharply penetrating compared to if someone else had to ask you. And God asks Elijah this question, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah opens up with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I want to say before we read Elijah's response, it doesn't matter why you've come to the Lord. Be honest with him about it. Is it desperation? Possibly desire for more of him. Loneliness, lack of fulfillment, ongoing sin, whatever it is that has drawn you into the presence of God or that God is highlighting in your life that you know you need to bring to him be open and honest with god about it that's the beginning of spiritual healing and restoration for elijah he says i've been zealous for the lord that's the good he says the israelites have forsaken your covenant that's the bad he says and i'm the only one left and they're trying to take my life they're trying to kill me that's the ugly elijah says this is why i've come and i'm so desperate for your help in this and his willingness and this willingness to be able to be like Elijah and see ourselves for who we are as we are and those parts that God needs to restore is the beginning of spiritual healing and restoration. But it takes time to feel safe in doing that. It's so hard to believe that there's a place where we can come and share the ugliest, deepest, most darkest parts of our lives and still be met with love, tenderness and gentleness. We're so used to and accustomed to being shamed because of the unfinished parts of our lives. But I want to say in solitude with the Lord, there is a place where you'll be met with love and tenderness and care. And this is a season where we can enter in. My encouragement to you this morning as I close is to say this. Allow this unplanned and unforeseen time and the season that we're in, allow it to be a time of refining and a time of purifying and a time of um, 
connecting with the Lord, a time where God is able to take you into deep, intimate places you haven't done before. Allow God to cultivate in you abundant life and accept the invitation because that's exactly what it is. God has been calling us even before lockdown into this deep, intimate space with him. It's an invitation that he's given us to enter more deeply into that intimate space with him and where we leave behind the busyness of our lives for the sake of gaining something greater. It's an, it's an invitation to enter into communication and communion with the one who's always there waiting just outside the noise and chaos of our daily busyness. It's an invitation to adventure spiritually and to grow in ways that we could only dream of or imagine. And it's an invitation to be transformed in the deepest parts of our being to overflow. You know, the amazing thing about Elijah's transformation and restoration was that it wasn't just for him. And likewise for us, as we enter into the season of a lockdown, or as we carry on in the season of lockdown, and as God starts to refine us, when we eventually come out, the refining process would not have just been for us, but for other people as well. Elijah gets sent to go and bless and to minister to people after his time in the desert. And likewise, I believe for us, church, if we allow God to transform us in the season, I really believe that we will leave and be able to go back into community and be around people and want to be around people, not because of our emptiness and need for them, but because of our desire to overflow with what God has given us. Elijah blesses and anoints and hands on and passes on the mantle because he's now filled from his experience with God in the wilderness in silence and solitude. And likewise for us, I believe that we'll be filled, restored to overflowing for the glory of God and for the strengthening of his church if we would just allow this season to be a season of refining for us. In Jesus' name, bless you. Praise the Lord and may you have a fantastic, fantastic week ahead. I know that Meryl Klopper is going to close off in prayer for us. So bless you and thank you so much, Meryl. Um, it's a great way to end our time together. Bye. As we pray together, help us to recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God. As we draw near to you, God, would you draw near to us? Let us as a congregation choose to rejoice as we consider the words of Psalm 9. I will praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises in your name, O Most High. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdown, many, many in our Connect family have had to experience of staying alone in a confined space. Many of us have known this and the news media reminds us daily that millions are dying from the virus and loved ones are grieving for their loss. Think of the millions in our country who are going hungry 
and living from hand to mouth. Consider the economic anxiety that is a reality. Our economy is in free fall and many businesses are going under and our investments could be wiped out. Pray for our government as they seek to guide us through these difficult days. Fear and anxiety cannot be ignored. And solitude and aloneness have become a reality. So we cry to you, Lord, in our extremity. For those of us in retirement homes with no access to our loved ones, we cry to you for perspective and insight and ask you to be the lifter of our heads. I, Lord, have security with a roof over my head, food on the table, and staff who sacrificially work to meet all my needs. I praise you, Lord, that you have been my provider and all of those who are in retirement homes at this time. Thank you, Lord, for the many promises in your word that have been my comfort and consolation. Thank you, Lord, that you say you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you say you will stand by us and strengthen us. Thank you, Lord, for the peace you promised to all those whose minds are stayed on you. And thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are indeed a privileged and blessed community in this church family. When we reflect on the promises, the peace and the power that are ours, may we be there for one another. May we love one another as you have loved us. May we be overcomers in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we, as a church family, progress from fear to faith. Hallelujah. Victory is ours because our God reigns. Amen.